Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber, please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening. Good evening. And welcome to Wild Ginger Running with the Scotney takeover still happening. <laughs> How are we doing, Jen? I'm fine. Yeah, Enjoying good. some snowy running at the moment. Yeah, there's a bit kind of chilly spell in the UK at the moment, and we, especially in the Peak District, we have a lot of snow, don't we? Which is making running quite entertaining. Anyway, on to more important things. Who's our guest this evening? We've got Lizzie Hawker, which I'm so excited about. I don't know what achievement to put top of the billing for you, Lizzie, because you seem to have won everything and done anything, everything. Got world former world record holder, world champion at 100k, five times winner of UTMB. I don't know. What what is your biggest achievement that you want to that you would put as your headline? <laughs> um probably none of those. Maybe they get <laughs> yeah. exploring the Himalayas now. <laughs> so running across the Himalayas <laughs> running from Everest Base Camp to Kathmandu and getting the record. I mean, yeah. You've done so much. Well done. And thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Thanks a lot for having me with you tonight. <laughs> Good to be here. And where, and where are you joining? Strange, strange online world that we have at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just a, a warning for all those who are joining us live. Um, we might have some technical glitches. So if we lose Lizzie, we might kind of drop out a little bit and then kind of fill in, do a bit of improv maybe, I don't know, um, <laughs> and bring Lizzie back in. But whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm actually in Grechen, which is a small village at 1,600 metres um, altitude in Switzerland, which is where we start and finish the Ultra to Monterosa. So I came back here at the begin beginning of the summer. Um, we managed to have our small Berglauf and some training camps last summer 
and then didn't manage to move away. So <laughs> I'm still here and I've watched the seasons turn into autumn and now a very wintry winter. So, yeah. And how has lockdown kind of been in, in Switzerland? Has it been very kind of strict um, or has it been a bit more relaxed? No, a little bit more relaxed. And being in a mountain village, um, you know, it can still go running or ski touring. Um, so can still get out on the trails and there's not many people um, really living here. So like when I go to the co-op to buy groceries there's there's never a queue to go inside kind of thing so we're we're really quite lucky up here excellent and, and if you weren't in switzerland at the moment where would you like to be or where would you would you should you really be sorry it just froze for a minute um oh. I'd, I'd be back in the pool so um back in the pool oh, and where, whereabouts in the pool Whereabouts? Maybe you can still get this one. Sorry. Yeah. It's all right. A bit of connection going there. Whereabouts in Nepal would you um, normally be? Well, in there. Kathmandu, but then going out to the mountains from there, but but based in Kathmandu. Is that just for yeah. running adventures or exploring? Um, running adventures, I help Richard with Mustang and Manaslu races and a few other small ones. And... Um, also, because I'm still trying to finesse my ideal Great Himalaya Trail route, so when I get the opportunity to go out to kind of recce different sections of that, that I do. So, yeah, it's a good good place to be. And and I mean, I I, I know a little bit about your past, Lizzie, and I, I mean, reading some of your stories and, and knowing how you used to train for ultra marathons, it probably wasn't a bit like a lockdown situation for you, wasn't it? Because when you first started doing ultra marathons, you, you weren't based in the UK. And in fact, I don't think you were based on, on land, were you? Um, <laughs> no, I, w I was actually based in the UK then. In fact, when oh, was I was it? probably running my best in the mountains, I was living in Cambridge and training on the towpath. So <laughs> I, th I think the mountains were just kind of in me because obviously there I didn't have much hill training. Um, um, yeah, so I no, I was actually working as a scientist. Um, or hang on, no, I was just finishing up my PhD and then I got a job at the British Antarctic Survey. So um, kind of as I was entering the world of, um, racing and competition um, I was still doing scientific work and research cruises down in the Antarctic as well uh, and, and, so yeah two, two month chunks at sea yeah but you used to train when you were at sea didn't you as well um, yes <laughs> one cruise where one of my colleagues and I decided to buy the cheapest treadmill that you could get from Argos for like <laughs> or something and took it down with this and but we had we had to um it was just a portable thing and had to kind of nail it to the deck when we were going to use it because of course and <laughs> 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 um, so I'd, i don't think it was really very effective but um try and then uh, i remember taking a skipping rope as well and, and skipping out on the deck with all the like machinery that we were taking down to the antarctic peninsula that's kind of stuck around um so yeah i i, I tried but um probably didn't train train very effectively then and i used to enjoy getting back to the falklands and going for a long tramp on the hills there and didn't you do laps around the boat or is that a, a kind of I found a story I've heard. A Lizzie Hawker myth. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a story you've heard, yeah. Because um, this is a working ship, so they're, they're putting instruments over the side all hours, like 24 hours a day. Um, and the, the one thing that you could do would be to do laps of the Monkey Island, which is this small bit right at the top of the ship that's open. <laughs> but it's it's right above the... Um, where the officers are, are, are driving the ship. So if you started stomping around up there, they'd, they'd soon get quite 
<laughs> Especially for 100k. <laughs> 100k, yeah. But like going back to you saying like you were finishing your PhD in Cambridge when you started ultra running, but your start was rocking up to UTMB with some borrowed kit. And on, I think in your book, which is um, called Runner, you just talk about wanting to complete that before the cutoff so it sounded like you didn't have any expectation that you were suddenly going to be up in the at the top of the field but like how did you go from (laughs) being somebody growing up in the UK to just being just having this amazing running ability in the mountains um I think the endurance was always there and I fell in love with the mountains when I was a child, so like at the age of six. And then I guess because I was living back in the UK and obviously fairly flat around London, um, running just became a way of being outside. but it really wasn't until my late 20s that I ever thought about racing. So I had no idea that there was uh, like an ability there kind of thing. I just had this love of the mountains and this love of running. And so, yeah, when I, when I turned up to UTMB, in those days, you didn't have to have any qualifying races or anything like that. And I signed up in March, you know, it, was, it wasn't like today's world. Um <laughs> And so literally I was standing on the start line and I had, because I didn't have anything to gauge it by, I had no idea at that point if I'd, you know, make the cutoffs and actually get back to Chamonix on my own two feet or if they'd stop me somewhere. So my goal was just to keep going until they told me to stop. (laughs) And luckily that was actually on the finish line. And And, and how how big was it? Because what year are we... Is that is that two thousand? It, it was two thousand and five, so it was the third edition, and I've seemed to have somewhere in my memory that it was about two and a half thousand people. It it was only the UTMB race then; there mm-hmm. weren't any others. Um, but I think it was around about two and a half thousand people. So it's still a fairly big race, and I mean, it's still growing. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And I remember looking back afterwards. Um, I can't remember whether it was when I got to Lazouche or even beyond beyond that. I was because I'd started, you know, right in the mass of people, and um, you know, it's when you're right in in the crowds, then people are moving slowly at the beginning, and it it takes a long, long time to thin out. So I was still like eight hundredth or something. Um, I don't know if that was Lazouche or um, the next one. We didn't we didn't go through yeah anyway early on in the race i was i was right way down um and then i think finished 23rd overall so it was kind of strange (laughs) (laughs) and when you realized that you were first woman in that race and i think you just talked about well i'll just try and stay first woman till the top of the next hill or the next checkpoint but i mean was there a, it sounded like you did find some competitive nature and was that something that you'd had before in other sports when you were growing up or was that something quite new for you at that point um i i guess i'd always just wanted to do the best that i could in whatever it was that I was doing um I hadn't really got much race experience by that point so um yeah I I was just just didn't have any race experience (laughs) to approach a race or um or what to do so yeah it it was the strangest point was leaving um well arriving in Cormier kind of in time for breakfast as I remember um, it's quite a civilized time, and um, it was it was in the massive sports hall, and they were showing me all all kinds of things like did I want to go and get a massage or do this or that, and it was like no no I just want to get some food and get out of here. And as I was leaving, and they they took my time the check my um type my chip again, um they said oh you're the second woman, and that was that was the complete surprise because I hadn't realised 
you know, where any, anybody else was during the night. Um, and then I, I passed the first woman and her husband um, at Arnuva, so the last checkpoint before you cross into Switzerland. And the borders, of course, at the top of the the Grand Col de Ferry. So I, I thought, let's let's see if I can just make it up to the to the col before they catch me. Um, and I did, but they didn't catch me. And so then I thought, oh, let's see if I can get just get to the next checkpoint and <laughs> the next one. And it just went on like that through the race. And um, in the end, I think they were twenty minutes or so behind me. Brilliant. And so when you finished that race, was that then, you know, was there the motivation to go and do more races? Did you like think, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this. I'm going to stay up there. And it's always yeah, like, I actually want to finish my studies. It, it kind of opened a door into... ...that races like this kind of realized that it was something I should investigate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think things snowballed. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of putting it lightly, isn't it? Snowballing. It's kind of like going on to win UTMB five times. It's... <laughs> It's quite, it's quite well, a it's, just, it's just what I did, though. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Running, I, 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 running long distances in the mountains just became normal. They, they weren't all in the mountains, though. <laughs> like it's no, you seem to be so true. good at everything. <laughs> yeah, because you, you you doubled at hundred k. Doubled by being being world champion. Being world, <laughs> being world champion. Um, 24 hour 24 hour world record <laughs> Spartathlon as well. yeah first like kind of ladies like, podium at Spartathlon as well is, is there any yeah, of those yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't quite know what to make of that <laughs> brilliant excellent I, I mean I thought that those results I mean, um, Arlene just asked quite an interesting interesting question can we touch on this a little bit before we kind of came on air about you know how ultra running has kind of exploded in the last few years uh, and uh, Arlene's asked what what do you think about the rise in popularity of ultra running in recent years um what do I think I think it's great I mean more more people are running and more people are on trails and more people are enjoying challenging themselves outside so yeah it's it's good and it it's grown um, really throughout the world um, and I guess uh, trail or mountain running as a sport. I mean, when when I was starting, you you, you would never have found it in the mainstream media, but um, now of course it's it's I mean not covered as in other sports are, but but you you find um, articles and stuff come out so. Um, it's it's really interesting to to see how it's grown in all aspects, really. But but the main thing is just that people are out enjoying the trails and the mountains. Brilliant, yeah. And, and Kit has just advanced so much as well, hasn't it? You know, with the growth in the sport. Yeah. <laughs> Liz's Kit is probably yes. she might own her own now. I don't know. <laughs> Did somebody just suggest that? Oh, you might need some trail shoes before you run in the mountains for UTMB. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. Actually, the the kit was pretty pretty good then, but I just didn't know about it because when I turned up to register in Germany, there were all these people looking like they knew what they were doing, with, you know, looking like professionals, and I had no clue. So, yeah, excellent. It's yeah, it's changed a lot. We've got a question actually about advice for a newbie. Chloe has said that. Um, well, first of all, wow, what an amazing guest. Um, uh, but then she's asked, what race day advice do you have for a newbie to UTMB? Chloe's doing um, CCC. As in, as in advice for the race day itself? I think, that, yeah. And um, then she also has asked afterwards for some top training tips as well. <laughs> how, long, how long have we got here? <laughs> <laughs> 
training tips, I, th- I think the main thing I'd say is just getting used to time on your feet. So even if it's not running necessarily long distances, but being used to being on your feet, so whether that's hiking or mountaineering as well, that that kind of all counts. Um, so it's it's really being used to having long days out, I think. Um, and also, of course, um, because it's the Alps, the the ascents and descents are long, so it's it's different if you're training, you know, a couple of hundred meters up and down. Um, you've you've kind of got to find a way to adapt your muscles to the to the long ascents and descents. And um, for the race day itself, I'd say really, yeah, just try to take it moment by moment. Um, because if you stand stand on the start line thinking of the finish, um, you know it's it's pretty overwhelming. Break it down into sections. Um, you know, then you get through one section, you get through the next, and you actually realise that it is doable. Um, and the other thing is just knowing that everything passes. So, you know, you might have a bad patch, but just give yourself the time to get through it. Um, you might have pain or hunger or, you know, cold or whatever, but but just give yourself the chance to go through it um, and get to the other side and um, allow it to come good again ra- rather than kind of giving up the, the, the first instance. So, so really just staying in the moment and knowing that everything does pass and, and giving yourself um, the time to to get through it and Brilliant. enjoy it because after all that's, that's kind of why you're there yeah definitely yeah so you, you talked about when you first got into like UTMB using in Cambridge finishing your studies and then you're kind of coming out what, what was was your training kind of did it always changed during the year to kind of what event you were leading up to or you know did, did you have a coach what helped you along the way and um and what, what yeah, kind of... I... uh, weren't meant i can't really remember now but i don't think there were so many races through the winter so yeah. winter time i'd more or less follow like the general pattern of marathon training I guess um except that I never never seriously did intervals and things like that except for very short short spells of time um but but you know that kind of general pattern to the week I guess and then in the summer um after that first UTMB the the next summer I I did go out quite a for quite a few mountain races um and then a few years after that, actually, you know, spent the summer in, in the Alps. So then when I was, just because I, I loved it and it was nice, and um, so I'd, I actually probably raced an awful lot more than I should have done. So then the racing itself became the training during the summertime and, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit less during the week. So um, it, it did definitely change during the year. And I, I guess I enjoyed the the variety between you know more structured periods of training and then um a bit more free form when i was when i was racing a lot and and did you ever ever have a coach during that time or were you kind of self-coached sarah rowell helped me for a while um until i left the uk um but never really um yeah, she she gave me ad- advice during that that period before I left the UK, but after that I never had any any um, yeah I, I was just going by feel more than anything else. Uh, and one of the buzz things, what's kind of battered about a lot at the moment in kind of training and coaching, is strength and conditioning. So were were you doing much, or were you just using the mountains as a way of strength running? You know, running specifically on that terrain. Yeah, and I guess it was also kind of a lifestyle choice as well because I've never had had a car, so to get from A to B, I'm either walking or running or cycling or something like that, um, you know, and carrying things from here to there. So at, at that stage, rather than any specific strength training, 
um, yeah, it was really more of a lifestyle of endurance kind of thing rather than um, anything specific. Brilliant. And, and then, so from doing UTMB, you, you suddenly pop up um, doing a little run in Nepal with my, my former mountain marathon partner, Spike. Um, and, <laughs> and Mike uh, Cartel. And Mike, yeah. yeah, Mike Cartel. We, we were chatting to Kim uh, the other week about the, the Lakes 24-hour record, which he took off Mark, and Mark used to hold that. So how, how did you end up um, kind of either in Nepal or coming up with a plan? to So it was running from Everest Base Camp down to Kathmandu, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it was it was Mark that really came up with the idea. I, I think it was a big birthday for him and he wanted to celebrate in some way. And so um, the plan was to climb Amadablam, um, which is a 6,800 meters. Uh, it's terrible. Um, Helen and... Um, Anyway, they, they had had the record at that point for running from Everest Space Camp back to Kathmandu. And so Sorry, we, you just broke yeah. up there a little bit, Lizzie. Who, who had the original record? Just so I listen. Oh, uh, now I'm going to have to look it up. Um, Helen and... Um, Was it Helen Damantis? Yes. And I can't remember the Is other... Not much. It's terrible. It's just, it's just gone. <laughs> anyway, but they had the record. And so, you know, Mark knew them well. And, yeah. Um, and so I, I guess that was where the idea came from to actually try running from a space camp to Kathmandu. And where the idea came for Mark to suggest I joined them, I can't, <laughs> I can't actually remember now. Um, and it all seemed to happen quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we, we found ourselves in, in Kathmandu and went up to the Kumbu more or less for a month, I guess. Um, we climbed on Island Peak first and then Amadablam. And then the rest of the group left and we hiked up to Everest Space Camp and, and started. Well, and, and it was a phenomenal, because it's what, it's 200, well, 199 miles? <laughs> well, you almost kind of say it was 200 um, miles, isn't it? Or is it? Yeah, I kind of have 320k in my head. Um, but it depends exactly what shortcuts you take and how many times you get lost because in the pool nothing stays the same. So <laughs> I, I, I did it three times in the end and every time it was a slightly different route in different places. So, um, yeah. And was that unsupported or did you have support crews out there helping you? Like we kind of talk a lot about races and people doing FKTs at the moment. Um, kind of half and half. Obviously when I did it with Mark and Spike, there were the three of us running together. Um, and then when we come to, so from that point, there was a vehicle following. And like the third time that I did it, um, I was on my own completely from Aerospace Camp back to Jury. And then Richard and Opendra and a Nepali friend came to meet me there and followed me along the road back to Kathmandu. So it was kind kind of half and half. And also you can't really, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's lodges along the Everest Base Camp to Jury Trail. So um, I wasn't carrying all my food because I would stop and get to your chapati. <laughs> yes. And what were people so, thinking uh, as you ran past? <laughs> I've got, got this well, lovely photo from you, which is on your website of you with a head torch on and a white long sleeve top looking very sparkly with a load of food in front, laid out in front of you. Oh yeah, that, that's that's when Rich came to meet me at Jury. Um, but, but the you try to run at night because you should be running at night. Um, you know, pe people are scared of the animals and, and things like that. So the hardest the hardest point is always um, if you stop somewhere just as it's getting dark or. Um, uh, after dark, and then they try and really try and persuade you to stay there. It's like, <laughs> why? Why do you need to go? You, you can sleep and go in the morning, kind of thing. So, um, try, trying to to you know 
put forward the idea that you're you're really in a hurry is um it's difficult sometimes <laughs> excellent so, so that that first time you went out with mark and spike was that your first time you went to nepal or had you been before yeah no it's my first time to nepal two years earlier i'd done a ski expedition in in india um mm-hmm. but that was my first time to nepal and then after that um started going back more often and more often <laughs> yeah because you, you can you seem like you spend a lot more time now in the pool during the year yeah. and yeah. kind of helping richard and and you've done another little kind of short run in the pool as well um <laughs> you just thought you'd you haven't got a car um, and you need to have a look at nepal so why not run across it <laughs> it's was, it was the best, best way to to see most of the country yeah <laughs> So how long did that take you in total? Um, the first time, 42 days, um, partly because of a broken bridge and um, partly because of a, an episode of snow blindness. So I was I, I was in a yak herder's tent for two nights in the day. Um, and then the second time, uh, I did it in 35 days, more or less the same route, but... Um, uh, I was trying to make kind of an independent route, so taking as high a route as possible, but um, avoiding the glaciated sections simply so that somebody could do it alone. Um, and it, like it, it, even, even between 2016 and 17, the roads in Nepal are encroaching further and further north from the south now, so some of the detours that I had to make weren't very satisfying kind of thing. So now I'm exploring kind of a medium route, I guess, which is, which is really a really alpine route, um, which would probably take longer than the original high route. Um, but yeah, it would be absolutely amazing journey to put together in one go. So, um, I'm still exploring sections of that. I, I, I mean, you slightly, you slightly brushed over over the snow blindness. I remember hearing you speak in Buxton, and you were kind of sharing the the, the adventures of that. And but it was a quite, it was a serious incident, though, wasn't it? You, you, I mean, you was on your own, and and you were quite high up as well. well yeah, it? I was, yeah, fa- fairly remote. So um, this was in a section between Kanchenjunga and the Makalu Baron um, National Park. And so I'd, I'd just crossed a 5,000 meter pass um, and there was snow and I was, I was stupid, but I was, there was quite a lot of snow and I was breaking trail and I just kind of neglected to think about my eyes. Um, and descending the other side of that pass is you, you reach a, a small village called Tudam, um, which is a traditionally Tibetan village. So there's, there's kind of only four ways out of the village, back over the pass that I came from, um, the pass to Tibet where they go shopping, basically. Um, another 5,000 meter pass to the south that goes directly to Num, um, which also would have been snowbound, or the jungle trail to Chantang, and then, then you're on, on more major trails after that. Um, and that was jungle forest was where I got lost in 2011 and was out of communication for three nights so I was really looking forward to that section very much um and anyway so, so I'd crossed the pass and be- before I reached the village about an hour above I, I passed through this kind of yak herders camp and it was it was nearly getting dark and they had soup um tukpa ready and You know, they they kind of offered me to really kind of encouraged me to stay there rather than continuing in the dark. And because yeah. there was there was food and, and somewhere to lie down, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll stop here and carry on in the morning. But anyway, in, in the middle of that first night, I woke up and it was agony. And I guess that was the worst point of the whole journey. Um, any anyway, they they were great because they they. Um, 
could see that I was hurting and that I just needed to to rest and and they looked after me and gave me tea. Um, but of course, being inside a yak herder's tent where the fire is kind of juniper and, and brushwood, um, so there's, the smoke isn't ideal for, for or kind of irritates sunburnt eyes even even more. Um, so I had a day where, but basically, I couldn't I couldn't even see to get out of the tent to go for a pee, um, and then spent the second night there, and then the next day, just took the whole day. Uh, to walk slowly down to the village um, and then thank- thankfully it, it kind of passed but yes I, w- I wasn't in the best place to make a quick exit from kind of thing so um, I just had to wait out and hope that I, w- I would recover enough to, to see my way out I, I mean we're able to sit here and kind of laugh about it and kind of kind of yeah reflect on it but have you ever been in a situation? So I know you you, met, you mentioned previously when you did the route, you, you, and then and then you said you got lost for like three days and there's no no communication. Have you have you ever been in a situation in the mountains or on a trail and thinking, actually, I've gone to a point here. This 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 is almost becoming too dangerous now. Or are you always in that kind of moment of kind of like, oh, how can I how can I get at this? How can I kind of solve this problem? Well, thank thankfully so far. I haven't crossed that boundary because if I had, I probably would have died. Talking to you now, I mean, there've been. I'm, I'm sure I've been a lot closer to the edge than I've realised at times. Um, in 2000, 2018, I guess, um, I'd gone into the Macaloo area um, for, for a bit of exploration, and was walking out down the Barren River Valley jungle trail um which basically hadn't hadn't been used all season i'm i'm pretty sure um and i just slipped at one point and actually broke my ankle and it took me a day and a half to walk out um to the roadhead and i'd seen a bear and i knew that there were big animals around so probably that night after I'd broken my ankle, knowing that I couldn't move with any kind of, I could, could barely move, let alone move with any speed. Um, and I could just hear the big animals close by. Um, and I, I was I was just thinking, if I make it through to morning, then, then everything's good kind of thing. <laughs> and that was probably the worst night I guess I've had in the mountains. Wow, that is yeah, pr- pretty extreme. Uh, uh, um, Mae Riley, who is also kind of said she loved your book, um, she's asking about the kind of Nepalese um, kind of female runners because there are some amazing kind of. Do, do you get a chance to run with many of the, the, the Nepalese runners while you're out there? Yeah, well, no mirror Rai um, really well and. On all of the Manaslu and Mustang races, we take local Nepali runners as well. Um, of course, I'm not racing. I'm usually marking the route, <laughs> um, but get get to spend time with the girls. And then Mira's kind of got a program now where she's trying to train uh, yeah, about six girls each year. Um, and there's also a growing running community just in Kathmandu now. Um and and within Nepal itself, so it's it's really nice to yeah spend time with with them with the girls. And do you Not think only the, the girls? Yeah, some of the guys. Well, do you think there's the, the funding though to get into more international races in Europe or America and around the world? Um, well, that's that's the problem is is finding the money to support mm. them to 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 come abroad. Um, you know, to get international race experience and experience different races, um, so that that's an ever ongoing problem. But yeah. the, the, there's huge huge potential um, for people that can be given an, an opportunity. Yeah, 
kind of tying with what we said earlier about how ultra running is growing there is more more money coming into the sport isn't there and more lucrative sponsorship deals so um if that money could be passed on to those nepalese runners to get them in just yeah it'd be really exciting to see some of them like at utmb or or even well mm-hmm. I was told Monterosa, so um, <laughs> the only reason we've we've, we've, had a, we've we've had a few in the stage race, so Tietamang, um, Mahesh, and Bikash, and some of the girls as well. Um, but so far, nobody in in the the long race. Brilliant, yeah, because because <laughs> now you're you're kind of as you're easing back on some of the racing, you, you're now kind of swapping hats. And have put on more of a race organizer hat. Um, and I think I understand when you came back from Nepal, you you were in kind of Switzerland and were doing lots of runs around uh, the Monterosa route. Is that right? And kind of, did you have the idea, the thought of this could make a great race? Yeah, it, it kind of came about, um, I guess, when I used to be training for the UTMB, I'd obviously not the first year, but in in the later <laughs> later events, um, I used to go a couple of times and do the whole route into back to back twelve hour days. And if if I could do that, then I knew that I was um, kind of coming towards shape, sort of thing. Oh, oh, the but whole then, UTMB the whole UTMB route. Yeah. You used to do it in two back-to-back days. It took me four um, days. <laughs> and, um, maybe that's why I didn't finish but, yet. But that's why you haven't won it. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm not won it. get busier and, and people knew me and um, I just wanted something different. And so it was the Zermatt area that I'd known since a child. And then I realized, I, I can't remember how I first discovered that there's this 100-mile long-distance footpath around Monterosa mm. in a sim- similar way to, to um, the Tour to Mont Blanc. And so I tried that into what turned out to be too much longer than 12-hour days, which is <laughs> actually much tougher. Um, so anyway, I, I got to know the route really well, and it's wilder... Um, it's it's more of a challenge and i think it's much more beautiful um a huge amount of variety and um you know i was was thinking then so if this was a race this is what i'd be coming to do rather than going to race utmb so that's kind of where the seed of the idea came from and then um in nepal with richard sort of hours talking about it and then eventually we decided to stop talking about it and try to make it happen so that, that's where it all started really oh, and what was the first year the race was held the first year was 2015 and in the beginning it was actually um from Chavinia back to Grechen so kind of two-thirds of the of the route uh because we couldn't get permission to pass through Zermatt and then 2017 was the first year that we could make the full loop. So now we have the full 170k. We also have 100k from Gresne, um back to Grechen. So it's kind of crossing three of the major calls. And then we also have the full full route over a four-day um, stage race. Yeah, Brilliant. which is which is nice because some people you know, might never want to run through the night and um, get to experience the route in daylight and um, you know, kind of the camaraderie in the evenings and enjoy the delights of pizza and ice cream and things that we <laughs> Right, that's kind of Pass on the hallucinations and the um, <laughs> running through the night experience. Make it sound very civilized. That option. <laughs> I quite like that option actually, especially yeah, the pizza option. I think that's uh, this is why I like motor stage also, racing. It's also pretty tough to, to run hard for four days. Yeah, and it's it's uh, so a hilly, but um, it's more elevation than UTMB, isn't it? <laughs> you just say it's more hilly. <laughs> <laughs> I did say more hilly. I did. <laughs> It's a bit hillier than the Peak District. It's definitely hillier than Cambridge. 
Yes, so it's it's over um, over eleven thousand um, meters of elevation, and estimate kind of twenty to thirty percent harder than UTMB. The trails are um, less flat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, UTMB. I mean, it's just too flat, isn't it? Oh, it's, like, it's like running in Norfolk. UTMB. Yeah, it's like on the towpath. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of mountain, mountain trails for the most part. And, and, um, and so, for entry, do you stipulate that you have to have done a mountainous event or kind of show your experience for doing the race? Yeah, I mean. It, it's not for for the hundred mile race. It's not an entry level hundred mile race, um, but at the same time, we didn't want to stipulate you have to have this many points because, of course, people collect points from um, races that wouldn't necessarily give you the right experience for this, and also take into account mountaineering experience and things like that because it's it's really I'm more concerned with. Um, people being able to look after themselves on that terrain if um, if the weather's bad, um, you know, rather than speed and running ability kind of thing. So it's it's really from a um, just a safety angle. So um, we have a pre-registration and go through the each registration individually, but it 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 kind of means that you know people don't necessarily have to have done this race or that race or that race to, to qualify. Um, we, we take a, an overview of people's experience. Brilliant. I've got a, we just posted a picture up of Ruth Croft, fellow Scott athlete um, from the website and um, on quite, is that quite an exposed part of the course? I mean, there's a, a beautiful mountain in the background. There's chains just to her left. Uh, okay. One one tomorrow then, which is the highest pass. Well, it looks really exposed. Um, on the Italian side, um, there's a cable below um, because people go up there. So you get people going for a weekend day out in their slippers kind of thing. Um, but they've, they've kind of got steps up the other side of those rocks. Um, on on the Swiss side, it, it's it's kind of slabs, um, so it's yeah, it's not a beginner's hike kind of thing. Um, but it, 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 there's no really exposed parts, or um, of course things can happen everywhere, but. Um, but yeah, it, it looks more impressive than it is. <laughs> it looks really nice weather on this photo as well. <laughs> False advertising. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that was, she was starting in the stage race, so it would have been just after after you know in the in the early morning light, mm. and it's it's really beautiful. Yeah, because the the previous obviously the, the race didn't ha- did the race happen last year with COVID restrictions or did you have to postpone it? No, we we had to cancel the main races and we were lucky that we could go ahead just with our Berglauf, which is a twenty three k race that we have on the Saturday of that week here in Grechen, um, which was kind of a strange, um, you know, because we had all the distance protocols and um, testing before the runners could could register etc but we were blessed with a beautiful day and uh, people um, in the end it was people mainly from Switzerland um, uh, lots of different nationalities but people living with us within Switzerland and people were just really happy to, to run and have a day out so um, it was it was nice just to be able to make that happen and it sounds just such a lovely idea that you've created this race that you wanted to run and it's from somewhere that you went as a child on family holidays. But I can also imagine there's another side to race organisation, which is a, just a complete headache with um, insurance, with permissions and things like that. So how have you found the organising of such a big race? Yeah, well, it's it's just we have, we have a great band of volunteers for the race. Um 
but during the year it's it's just Richard and me working on it so um we have to cover everything so um you know we ha we have things that we prefer doing than others so you know <laughs> maybe the marketing drops off when we should really be concentrating on that and things like that but um it's it's a really interesting process simply because because we have to learn the whole the whole of the race um and yeah it's 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 satisfying in the end it, it can be hard work at times during the year um especially working so hard when there's nothing you know it only comes together in, in the one event at the end of the year but the, there's a so much that goes into it all year round um but yeah when when we see people on the start line and um see that they've enjoyed their experience or at least had an experience um it's that that's really great yeah and the start line looks great i've just posted put a picture up of it and you got the the prayer flags across and kind of wooden yeah, gantry they have over. a little nepali influence um to the race and the the gantry was kind of made by a, a local woodsman here so it's trees from the forest here so um yeah there's there's lots of different touches to it i guess brilliant excellent but and is there lots of checkpoints along the route have you kind of you know is there like a taste of lizzie hawker in in the race so like the checkpoints are just a cheese sandwich <laughs> um or a piece of bread or <laughs> no we've tried to do better than than that <laughs> um so i i think um yeah, the the food is is generally pretty pretty good. Um, um, in two thousand nineteen, we were lucky to have homemade banana cake and flapjacks at some of the checkpoints and um, some things made on the Italian side. So it's not all just kind of normal food. So yeah. So so if somebody's interested in or you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a good time to have you on. So some people have tried trying to maybe get their UT, UTMB entry and have not been successful and maybe not heard of UTMR um, and it's like now hearing about this. How If somebody was interested in maybe doing this, how easy is it to go? You said you kind of written and wrecked it because you were getting fed up of, of being recognised on the UTMB train. Oh, well, terrible is that how, how easy is it to go and wreck it i think i saw like you had because you had damien hall um and with the beth pascal did but i know damien oh, and beth and nikki Swinks, but they went yeah, out and wrecked it yeah so no it's it's totally possible to spend three or four days wrecking it um we do it i don't know how many days maybe they took three days over it um, I also have a couple of training camps during the summer doing it in four days, so exactly as the stage race is broken down. Um, but, of course, not going at race pace, so they tend to be quite long days. Um, and otherwise, it's... Um, what do I say? It's it's hard just to recce sections of it, unless you're mm -hmm. already in one of the villages. Um, simply because it's such a long way round between the logistics of the race. It's it's a lot more complicated than UTMB because there's no handy tunnel through the mountain, <laughs> and it's it's kind of a thousand mile. It's a thousand mile driving journey to to, to support the hundred mile running race. Basically, wow. it's it's a it's a long drive. So. It's it's actually much easier to go the whole way on foot, <laughs> which I think is just sums up you really. Like, <laughs> you, you knew the thousand miles when I did UTMB because I forgot to put my vouchers for the checkpoint in. The I had to go through the tunnel twice <laughs> to get. <laughs> um, so you're saying that if if we want to recce any of it, we might as well and go and do the whole thing because that's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and, and that's. <laughs> Unless you were spending a few days in Zermatt or Sasfe or Grechen or one of the villages on the Italian side and then, then kind of do the sections from there. Um, but, um, yeah, if, if you've got a car, it's easier, but, but public transport's <laughs> challenging. <laughs> 
to, to get around the whole route. Uh, and, and so the it, 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 it <laughs> for, for a reason, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the camps you do in the summer, are they just kind of wrecking the route? Are they just going around, or is there some kind of any coaching input or training input for athletes who are maybe coming along to the race, or is it just purely let's go and wreck it? Really, really, really depends on the people coming. I take the camps, um, so kind of lead, lead around the whole route. And yeah, there's also time to look at a bit of technique or you know answer questions and things like that. But it really just depends on who's actually there, who's who's in the group, and what they want to get out of it. But they're they're generally a lot of fun. Brilliant. And the details for the camps are on the the race website as well. Also on the, yeah, also on the race website, yeah. Excellent. And then, and how how are entries looking so far for this year? Are they? Um, well, pretty good given the circumstances. I was I was kind of surprised, um, and yeah, we would just have to watch and see how the situation de- develops. Obvi- obviously, there's going to be travel restrictions still in place um, for countries further away, but we're hoping that within Europe, at least, you know, restrictions ease and um, that things will be be okay for september even even if we've got you know restrictions and um precautions in place um but for sure people coming from australia etc um are unlikely to get here for this year so really looking at a european runner base this year yeah it's uh... but it's it's nice to have something to look forward to if it it works out yeah yeah, it's good to have kind of there. Some hope that races come the, the spring or summer might be happening and we can get away and do some do some races. It, as you say, it all just depends on different government guidelines, doesn't it? And the travel restrictions. And I've got a question yeah. about races, Lizzie. I wondered if there was any races around the world that you haven't done but would like to do. Um... That's a good question. There, there probably are. I, I just haven't really given much thought in the last year or two to racing myself. <laughs> I, gu- I guess it's because I'm so focused on exploring in, in Nepal. So if I've got time, that's that's where I want to be um, rather than traveling for races. So but let's see. Well, I was going to ask where your favorite place to yeah. run was, but I think I know the answer to that. <laughs> It's Cambridge. It's Cambridge. <laughs> yes, so far. So Cambridge. Or some Argos treadmill. So it sounds like you're exploring, um, yeah, having another adventure across Nepal. Are there any plans for when that might be? Or is it just waiting to no, see when it feels right? It's, it's, yeah, and it's just really, because I, I really want to work out this this route that i've got in mind but um it it depends on well certain times of year are are the best time to go and explore because um if if there's if you're up really high and there's snow down and there's cloud down then it's impossible to find the way um you're kind of talking about you know going out not seeing anybody else for six days sort of exploring so um in places that people don't generally go into so the trails are pretty non-existent um so there's kind of a small window of of time when it's possible to actually explore those parts so it's it's going to take me a few years i think to get a route i'm happy with and then yeah who knows maybe i'll try it in one go uh, we've got a question from um, Maver Riley asking, and um, will it be a book? <laughs> well, I've I have a contract now to write a book about my first great Himalaya journey, um, and kind of struggling with it at the moment. So, um, hope hopefully I'll I'll get that story down, and then yeah, we'll, we'll see if the future. But. <laughs> so the book's taking a lot longer than the actual running did. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Running in sometimes is easier, isn't it, than trying to... <laughs> I just had another question about... I had another question about when you are running in Nepal and doing these runs, like where are you staying and sleeping? Are you staying in using local facilities when you're going through? Are you completely self-sufficient? Um, that's a good, good, good question. The first two, well, the, the two complete GHTs that I did, I was mostly staying in villages. Um, so if I was on a major trekking trail that would be in a lodge but they, that was actually a few nights out, out of the total um, and usually it would be a village where foreigners don't usually pass through and I'd just ask the, the thing in Nepal that's so humbling is um, because people are used to, to traveling on foot because um, usually they have to walk for a few days to get to the roadhead to get a bus to Kathmandu or, or to go to the local market or something like that so they're used to pe- they're used to people traveling on foot and needing hosp- hosp- you know needing somewhere to sleep um, whereas for us um, that's kind of become a, an alien concept so you know if, if somebody knocked up at your door and expected to be given a, a space on your floor to sleep you'd, you'd kind of um, lock all your doors and windows or something. <laughs> in, in the wall, it, it, it is just what's normal is is to to offer hospitality. So um, usually I stayed in villages, and then I was carrying a sleeping bag, um, and then just a foil bivy bag. And so I had probably I don't know, I can't remember now maybe five or six wild bivies during the the whole journey um but some of those were pretty high like 4,800 meters in, in Dolpo um so pretty cold um yeah so that was during the GHT itself but now when I've been exploring these sections more um yeah I've, I've been out for kind of six or seven days and not actually seen anybody so then carrying um Winter time, I simply carried a heavy sleeping bag and slept out. I didn't carry a mat or um, or a tent or anything. Um, and then other times, I've gone with a light sleeping bag and a, a kind of bivy tent. So, yeah. and are you working with the, the Nepalese government to make get the route kind of recognised as like an official route? Like I was kind of talking about the um, the Kumbi Trail and all the different other trails already kind of recognize well robin boosted um did a lot of work in the beginning to um so who's it recognized by i don't know the the nepal tourism board maybe and um that there's a map of the trail um but actually on the ground there there is no trail so it's you know it's not like um the Jomyo Trail in the U.S. or something, which is a, a way a signposted trail. You know, this this is just a concept more than anything else, and it's a living, breathing country that's developing. So things are changing all the time. You know, roads coming in from the south, and um, things are changing up on the high, high levels as well with climate change and things like that. So the the whole country is continually in flux. Um, but it would be nice. Um, it would be nice to kind of have this more alpine route as a recognized route um, to give an alternative to the one that crosses the glaciated regions. Um, because the lower trail that Robin suggested, you know, o- over a decade, well over a decade ago now, um, much of that has turned into Jeep tracks. So it's it's not um, really the, the same concept. So, yeah, it, w- it would be great eventually to to um kind of map out this this alpine route brilliant excellent fantastic oh wow (laughs) brilliant so and so you're still locked down in switzerland don't know how long for and are you just out exploring lots of skiing at the moment yeah waiting to see um well i've got my skis and my skins so alternate between 
between that and um, also just running on the, on the trails here, but not yeah, not going so far afield as usually I do when there's no snow. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're lucky to be in the nature here. So yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, for joining thank you us so much. You're welcome. This evening and uh, hopefully very soon for kind of. Uh, everybody that's listening as well um just for being here tonight and um yeah just take care there in the uk and um keep patient i guess we just have to wait this out yeah so look after yourselves indeed yeah fantastic thank you and if anybody wants to find out more about the ultra montrose head over to the website i think we put the link down below um and we'll share more about the link as well I'm definitely inspired by that. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. Brilliant. Well, yeah. thank you everybody else who's joined us this evening and we'll be seeing you again next Wednesday. Stay, stay folks, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.